<laughs> All right. Hey, welcome to Going Off Track. I'm Jonah. I'm Brad. Steven. And we are uh, hanging out here at Pulse Music. Where Steven runs the show, owner, operator, <laughs> master producer. Let's say you're, you're sitting here listening to this podcast. You're like, I want to do some voiceover work. And it sounds fucking good. You want to sound you know as what? good as this podcast? Best pod- sounding podcast. These are yeah. the best microphones you could do a podcast on. Absolutely. So yeah, if you check like out, the sound of my voice. Check out Pulse Music. Book, book a session. Um, and tell, tell them uh, you're a Going Off Track fan. Yeah, do that. They might let us come back again. Yeah. Uh, Brad mentioned that he's going to Texas soon. Yeah, because, you know, summertime, might as well go to Texas, right? Where else would you go? And if you're going to go to Texas, you might as well go to Dallas-Fort Worth, because where else is there, really? Yeah. You know, Austin. It's the nicest weather right now. (laughs) <laughs> it is really so nice. Stupid. Everything down there is air conditioned, though, pretty much. Right? Yeah, and there's a pool everywhere you go. There's I'm a sure. pool. I'm going to a ranch. I mean, okay. it'll actually be cool, not temperature wise. Right, but it'll be fun. It's a friend of mine, an old friend who's had this ranch in her family for generations. And nice. I think she's like breaking it up or selling part of it. But I think also it's kind of like a, I think it's like kind of like a wedding reception for a wedding that hasn't happened yet, and that. I won't get invited to. So. I, dude, I love not getting invited to weddings. <laughs> but I like weddings. I love going to and weddings. I always go to weddings. Oh, I've so been fun. to weddings in Australia, Hawaii. I don't. We don't say no. It's a reason really? to go somewhere weird. Yeah, and drink and eat for free. Yeah. I only like. Here's why I like weddings. If it's like I'm going to a wedding in LA um, this summer, which will be fun because it's like I we have a lot of mutual friends, so like I'll know a lot of people. Um, and I like weddings that are here where I don't have to like commute, but, uh, you may be like, you may still be, you know, you've still been to like the dud family weddings. Maybe that's what your, your perception is instead of like the cool friend weddings. Yeah. Well, here's what I feel like. I feel like I, I don't see myself getting married anytime in the near future. So but I've been to so many ways that I feel like I'm like paying into this thing where I'm never going to get a return on it. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, like I'm just fucking buying presents for everyone I know. <laughs> uh, I know that sounds weird, but it's like at a certain point, I'm like, oh, here we go again. It is expensive. Yeah. It's going, expensive. To, <laughs> going to and being in weddings oh, yeah. is expensive. Yeah. The whole thing is terrible. And like the sick part about it is that when you could go to like a DJ and say, hey, I'm throwing this party, you know, it's my dad's 50th birthday or whatever, and, like, um, how much would it be for you to, you know, spin for three hours? And he'll tell you. And then you come back the next day and go, like, hey, I got this wedding. <laughs> and like it'll be three triple, times. Yeah, photo, I think anything, totally. yeah. Like, yeah. We, we had our wedding, we totally. bought, we literally bought stuff because the rentals were more expensive. Like, we bought, like, tableware tablecloths like it was insane yeah i um i have never spent any money on a wedding because i've never gotten married yeah it's a smart it's a smart way to go dude yeah (laughs) how do you feel about friends who have been like married multiple times do you get like less expensive presents each time you don't get it no more really you don't get big number two wedding 
Yeah, yeah, you might get, you know, a little something for the second time, but no, 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 no. But it's not, you know, what about the person who's marrying them? And it's not their fault that the person's already been married. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Oh, my <laughs> <Okay>. God. <laughs> yeah. There's ru- there's un- unwritten rules maybe about Maybe a little that cash, stuff. you know? If, yeah, if you know yeah. it's going to be a nice, like, party, maybe you'll throw a little cash. What if you think the wedding isn't, the marriage is not going to last? Are you like, eh? <laughs> I kind of feel that way every time I go. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Oh man! Today on the podcast, we have uh, Spike Lawson, <clears throat> and he's a. You may know him from Me First in the Gimme Gimmies, punk rock supergroup. Might know him from Swingin' Utters. You might know him from the Swingin' Utters. That's where I met him. Yeah, old friend of Brad's. Uh, yeah, the lineup for Me First, as he knows, No Effects is Fat Mike, Dave Ron and Joey Cape from Lagwagon. Chris Shiflett from Nice for a Name and Spike Sings. Although when they came out here, Mike was not with them. Jay Bentley from Bad Religion was playing bass. Right. Um, <laughs> which would have been fun to see. I've actually never seen Me First. Really? Yeah. I don't know how that's happened. I've seen No Effects a ton of times. I've never, yeah, never seen it's them. It's pretty fun. Yeah. I've, and I don't know if they always have the bartender on stage, but it, it used to always be John Bush. He would always oh, do yeah? the bar and like, um, or whenever he could. But that's definitely part of the show because you can like if you if you if you're on stage you can go get a drink while in the middle of their set. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> you just walk. That's you just awesome. walk on stage. And just... Well, if you're like at the side of the yeah, stage, yeah. if you're friends with the band, you know, you just go around and kind of like yeah. order a drink. It's, yeah, it's fucking dope. Yeah, I've never especially in the middle of like Warp Tour. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. Um, but yeah, this is a fun podcast. I yeah, I had never met Spike before. He's an old friend of Brad's, and we've been trying to do this for a while. I mean, I feel like Me First doesn't tour that much because all those guys are in so many different bands yeah. that tour a lot. So, uh, not that I would know what that's like. But uh, yeah, um, this is a great episode. Spike's really cool. Um, I'm not going to talk about what we talked about in the podcast because you'll just have to listen and find out. So let's uh, land into it with uh, Spike Lawson from me first in the Give Me Give It's going on track! It's an ungreen product because they use a gallon of gas to get that one bottle here, dude. How the fuck do you know how it gets over I here? I know this shit. I'm an eco-terrorist. You don't know shit. There, that I said mustache it. and the black shirt <laughs> doesn't make you an eco-terrorist. I said it. I got it out. Listen, <laughs> you don't know how much gas my Fiji water took to get here. You just don't know. You're spreading more misinformation, and this is not the time to be spreading more misinformation. On this real news. It's really irresponsible. <laughs> irresponsible. You're a journalist. Because <laughs> anyone with a Twitter account is a journalist Have now. you been following all this? Conspiracy stuff, all the misinformation. How do you feel about the state of the media in, in two thousand? Really, that's what we're going to open with. Mm, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I honestly I mean, don't know, man. Like, it's a weird. Uh, yeah, I have no idea. Yeah, it's a weird time for sure. Because I think uh, Democrats' hands are just every bit as dirty as, uh, or at least almost as dirty as as the other side, but. Uh, yeah, they seem to be in this weird sort of rush to war, and then the other guy is the other side is is. Yeah, I have no idea. I, I it's it's uh, it's all too much. I got that countable app, What's and then that? I read it's that thing where you like instead of actually like calling your congressman, you just like you know 
say yay or nay on your fucking phone. It's just like, oh, really? yeah, you could be really lazy about it. There's no way that works. No, it doesn't. Like yeah. I read, I read somewhere, <laughs> somebody wrote a New Yorker article like that, uh, that said, uh, calls don't really work, but that countable shit, like they just like, they dismiss that just out of hand. Yeah. Uh, but like it, it got to the point where like you'd you'd not look at your phone for like twelve hours, and there's like a hundred and ninety different. You know, like it's just too much, right? So I don't know. Well, I guess you know. Obviously, you're. I feel like No Effects is such a political band with Mike. It must be, and you guys obviously like your music not as political. It must be kind <laughs> of nice to have that as like more of an escape, sort of. Because I feel like that you hear about this stuff so much, I guess. No, I, no. I, I don't really talk to, you know, with, I mean, we sort of talk politics, but he's like one of those weird kind of like neoliberal, like Democrat type yeah. people. You know what I mean? Like, uh, and sometimes we overlap on that. But uh, yeah, when it comes to like working schmoes, he, he's, he's not as sympathetic as you'd like him to be. Right. Know? Yeah, I feel like. You know the the loose information I have on like where you're from and stuff. I made me think of um, a way I've been feeling recently, which is I do tend to have super progressive neoliberal tendencies, but I was raised around a lot of like working class and white trash people. Yeah, and I realized that like the tenor and tone of all of it is just like not on point. No, like, with what people can understand and with what people want. No, like, their party like doesn't have their back anymore. Like, and they know it. You know. Do you feel like the difference in that comes from someone totally born and raised in California, and then someone who like you who like started in Pittsburgh and then moved around? Like, you have maybe your footing in a in a different world a little bit. Somebody that grew up in Pittsburgh, like I, I didn't grow up grimy, but I grew up like grime adjacent. Like right. you were prepared for 2008 for that weird kind of valuation that everybody went through, mm. you know, like my work, my life and work and everything that's come up to this point is worth exactly this. And that's a weird thing to find out. And Pittsburghers found that out in like the, in the seventies. Right. Right. You know? Right. And like Pittsburgh was one of those places that just had one thing going on. So like when that fell out, like people started doing really weird shit, and it's just steel. You're talking about, yeah, that. yeah, yeah. It was just steel, and, and like, and colleges, like there was this like kind of academic world that was sort of starting to like, I wouldn't say eclipse it because it didn't want to take that world's place, but it was, you know, Pittsburgh was turning into kind of a university town, mm-hmm. and so like milk toasts, like me, like I wasn't born there, you know what I mean? So so these people whose whose dads were losing their jobs, like. They knew what I was, and they knew that my world was taking over their world in Pittsburgh, or they thought that it was. Yeah, so yeah, they were yeah. out for blood, right? Like when they came to school, and you know, hmm. so and and that made it really hard to empathize with them. That also coupled with the fact that, like, when you read about the opioid crisis now, the language is a lot different from like from the crack era. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like they talked about super predators and like these this almost like supernatural thing like where if you went outside like crack babies and crack yeah, wars right, and like right, right. whereas now it's these people that you have to empathize with and in huh. my weaker moments you know <laughs> it's interesting. I don't want to empathize with them but well you don't have to. The only way forward is empathy, man, <laughs> I guess. Jonah. Yes. Do you believe that that the only way forward is empathy? Yeah, I think empathy is important. 
Then can be difficult. But it's I think just it's so damn hard. <laughs> <laughs> Brad, I feel like you may have the least empathy in this room, or at least you uh, you give off that sheen. Well, of I definitely grew up empathy. grime adjacent, <laughs> very much. I wouldn't even say adjacent. I would say grime surrounded. <laughs> yeah. So where did you yeah. grow up? I grew up in Central Mass, which is rife with white trash and yeah. what I call the Northern Hillbillies. Yeah. And the uh, National Basketball and, Hall of Fame. And I can make direct comparisons because I have family. <laughs> I mean, I have yeah. white trash family all over the place from Indiana to the South. So, And they make I empathy know of which tough. I speak. Yeah. <laughs> if we didn't like, are, are non-white trash people allowed to say white trash or is it offensive? Oh, like the is N word? That, yeah, is that like a thing? Am I only allowed to freely say it am because white, I'm like partially am I white, white trash, trash now that I live in well, New York said, City? You're like white trash adjacent, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> but and if that stash is getting dirtier. Like, <laughs> I'm trying like, to go back. I'm like, trying to relate. I'm, yeah, I guess I'm trying to have empathy. I feel like you grew a mustache two months ago and then didn't trim it once. Is that what happened? No, I trimmed it today. You know, you got to maintain actually. these things, right? I trimmed it today. All right. <laughs> Wow, look at this is going off track mustache. Look at all three hosts with mustaches. Yeah. Spice, Sorry, Spice, the last time I saw this guy, hey, he I came in with clean, a great sh- I probably shave couldn't grow and a, a nice haircut. You look fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> you definitely look younger than Brad, I gotta be yeah. honest. Well, he probably is. <laughs> but what, what era were you an internet fat? Oh, that would have been like 95, 96. And they were paying me, actually. I oh, was, yeah? I was, I was uh, shipping and receiving okay. for them. So ninety five, ninety six. That's like that's sort of like rancid outcome the wolves era. I mean, obviously, yeah. the epitaph. But that was when that stuff was really. Exploding. Yeah, I remember when that record came out. I, I like that record a lot. <laughs> um, it was also a different time. Like San Francisco was just about to have the first tech boom, so it was like the the last, uh, like the end of this kind of era of San Francisco that I knew. I'd been there mm. since ninety. Okay, and uh, it seems unfortunately like loathe as I am to admit it that that San Francisco moved to Los Angeles yeah and kind of colonized downtown what do you mean by that San Francisco just like the more alternative the fun creative like people that know how to have like unself-conscious fun you know but also weren't afraid of being like ambitious right right, like there's a lot of people in San Francisco now that like ridicule ambition as if it's some kind of you know like Uh you know if you're seen to be like reaching for the brass ring, you know, yeah, it delegitimizes yeah. everything you do, and uh, it's because of their fear, either of success or failure, that they kind of like impose it on you. Yeah, what you is know? that? I, I feel like there's a lot of towns where the only way to stay legit is to die poor and hungry in the mediocre. Town. Yeah, yeah. What is that? <sighs> I feel like you should be proud. You should be like, ah, oh, this person. We nurtured this person from our bosom, and now they're out in the world, yeah. being well, you know, making money. Yeah, we're doing, doing whatever. It being is happy. true. Berkeley, especially, is very much has has had that anti anti success yeah. vibe, which just always blew my mind. Is it just because success is just like equated with capitalism? It's like power, a hippie thing, man. No, I think the it's because they shave their heads. Yeah, <laughs> I think they're like protecting oh. their like. They're mediocre, and when they see people that aren't mediocre, it it you know it threatens they they feel threatened. I see. So you know, like everybody be mediocre. Let's do a tribute night to you know 
so and so, and it's all like self-referential and like self-congratulatory, but nobody ever kind of busts out and and like achieves, you know, fire. You know what I mean? Yeah, like because yeah. they're ridiculed for even wanting to. It's true. Mm. LA's not like that, you know. Do you anymore? Like, do you like hanging out in LA? I like hanging out there. I could never live there because it's yeah. just too spread out, and it's like not a city that you could actually sort of just spontaneously engage with. That's kind of the, the definition of a city to me, where you could just walk out mm. and experience things. But like the destinations are are great once you know where they are, and then now that I guess it was mostly San Franciscans or largely San Franciscans kind of colonized downtown because it used to be really scary there. Um, yeah, it's like I, I really it's love hilarious. that part of Los Angeles yeah. now, man. Like it's uh, no, I remember when it was scary, and, <laughs> and now I visited there a few times and just thought, wow, this is hilarious. It's like being in like a weird deco, like Spanish revival East Village or something. Well, it's like a whole other. It's just like it's a whole other city because yeah. it doesn't look anything like any other part of LA. LA, my definition of LA has always been a huge collection of suburbs. Yeah, it's like if you took. What happened in L.A. is a whole bunch of suburbs started just swelled up until they touched each other, and all mm-hmm. of a sudden it was called L.A. Yeah. yeah. That's literally what it is. Yeah. And, like, it could happen anywhere and probably will happen other places in the country over time. But, yeah, it's a giant suburb. But now they actually have a heart that looks like an actual city, which is... It's actual downtown. downtown. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, like, it's supposed to be... Which wasn't there for, forever. No. For its whole existence... Until now, until it was like, like what, the road like warrior before. Ago. It was insane. Yeah, yeah. Like, it was super frightening. Just big meat eating, you know, <laughs> animals. It was, yeah, man. literally not. A, you wouldn't. You literally couldn't go there after dark. No, like, for real. And that wasn't even Skid Row. Like it, <laughs> yeah. all of downtown was Skid yeah. Row, but then you crossed a certain street and you were in the actual Skid Row. Yeah. <laughs> and the only thing I've ever seen like that is like like around Temple University in Philadelphia. Yes. If you've been like. Yes. Like that it's just wild. Just that's feral. scary down there. Yeah. That's pretty normal. Well that that's how like all of downtown LA was. Yeah, yeah. And so like the the it seemed like the focal point of LA, whenever you went there, you went to Hollywood. Right. Which was also like a mess, a dangerous yeah. mess. Anywhere east of Las Palmas Street. And like LA was just this slum that was adjacent to Hollywood. Yeah. You know? I always thought L.A. to me is always the film Judgment Night with Dennis Leary. Oh yeah, <laughs> like it's for real, classic. Yeah. Like that. Like I with had Jeremy Piven too. Wasn't Piven. he the first to go? Man, yeah, they were going to like a Lakers game in an RV, <laughs> yeah. and they just took like a left, and that's the film. And I believe Cuba Gooding Jr. is the. Uh, I believe that's Cuba. Cuba. <laughs> Excuse me, but that's like L.A. is one of those places that I had like an idea in my head about what it was going to be, and it was exactly what I thought it was when I got there. Yeah, it and, always felt like something bad was going to happen, and you just hoped yeah. that it didn't happen to you. And the other part to me felt like Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah, yep. <laughs> that was the other part, and then there was like the drug, like Jefferson Airplane part. Those are like the three parts the of the West LA Hollywood yeah. kind of like hippie. Yeah. yeah. And they all kind of rang true. They yeah. were all kind of yeah. exactly that. LA, LA will never let you down when it comes to stereotypes. That's well, and sure. just its history. Yeah. Like it's real history, yeah. like the crime history, like yeah. the, the sort of like, you know, legal crime. Well, it's like our newest city pretty much that's that big, you know? Yeah. Like it's so new. It's 100 years old. Yeah, so it's not like folk tales. There's like microfilm, you know what I yeah. mean? And actual photos of stuff like Rick Ross 
Wasn't like there's there's like a, a recording of him inventing the crack epidemic. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, he's like, man, like we're cooking this shit now. Like Freeway Rick Ross. Yeah. Really? Not Wait, the rapper. Not Rick the Ross. rapper Rick Ross. Oh. Freeway Rick Ross. Freeway like, Rick Ross made a phone call, like, and and I guess the CIA or or the police <laughs> were tapping his phones. Yeah, and he said, like, dude, like they're cooking this stuff, <gasps> man. We're gonna like we're gonna <laughs> run L.A. Holy shit! Wow. And then they did. Yeah, and that's what's so fascinating about its history is it's like all you know, it's so recent that it that it's like sort of is tractable a word. You know what I mean? Like like you can kind of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> and you never have to put on like a winter coat. Maybe that's why prostitution was so big there. They try though. The minute it dips below like 70 oh, they crazy. degrees, they all put I out know. their put on their puffy jackets cuz it's the only time they can. Spike, I had a question. I just want to get this chronology just because I think it's so interesting. So you were I my introduction to me first was Survival of the Fattest 2, mm. Country Roads. Mm. How er- and I'm assuming a lot of people. I mean, how early into the band was was that? Like, how did that sort? Because of- to me, that compilation is so legendary. That was one of the first uh, songs that we recorded. Really? Yeah. To tape. I think I was as cliched as it sounds. I think I was actually blacked out. Really? For the recording of that song. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. How did you guys? How do you sort of like decide on song? I mean, because I. At, at that age, I was like 15 or something. I thought that was an original song. Like, how did yeah. you sort of think? And then, like, like, I thought the California Raisins sang I Heard It Through the Grapevine Forever. Right. I thought they wrote that. Right. right. Like, you know, yeah. You're a dumb teenager. Yes, I was a dumb teenager. <laughs> um, it, Mike is, has a really good um, sense of what songs work in that weird kind of like, you know, pop punk sort of idiom. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he, he, uh, and I reserve veto power. That's, that's, that's about all I can say. You know what I mean? Like, no, Mike, I'm not going to do Hotel California, man. Like, I can't, uh, but, um, yeah, it's usually, usually I find that songs that I don't like are the ones that work. Mm-hmm. Like all that AM gold stuff. Yeah. You know, that, that I could like, like ironically or yeah, something, yeah, yeah. but like, uh, we tried to do the Easy Beats once, and I didn't think it came out all What's that well. Uh, Friday on my mind. Oh, yeah. And it's just, you know, because I like it, probably means that it was done. You know, like, generally if I like songs, it's not, uh, it's not worth doing. Well, it's doing. weird. The cover thing is crazy because... It's you just never know what's going to translate into well, like a cool cover. No, and it's it's not like the idiom. It's kind of defined by its limitations. You know, you yeah. can only do so much with what it is, <laughs> and you shouldn't try to do somebody else's job. You know, mm-hmm. but it also seems like it seems harder than it looks. Like I feel like you could hear any song, but like, yeah, we'll put the power chords and like fast drums, and it'll, it'll sound like a me first. But I feel like you do have to be really deliberate on what works and what doesn't. Yeah. And and it has it it what I've found over the years is that it's usually conceptual rather than trying to hammer it out in a practice space. Like if you wind up spending just hours on a song, it was probably not right. the song to do in the first place. Right. I remember when Mike came on the podcast, he was talking about you guys playing at an actual bar mitzvah. Yeah, we did that. What was it in we- in Los Angeles or no? Um, in it was like the hills. Not too far from Malibu, like somewhere like West LA. And um, it was his, 
accountant's son was turning 13. <laughs> so yeah, we played his bar mitzvah. We had to do the songs twice. You know what I mean? So we got a mulligan on some of the songs. They gave us mugs of wine. No way. Yeah. Um, man, and for, man, but they gave everybody else a bunch of wine, too. So, like, there are these pictures of people holding their ears at the beginning. And then, like, halfway through, like, in our second set, everybody just went nuts. Yeah, because he was like, yeah, people don't realize this was, like, a real bar mitzvah. People think it's just, like, a no. joke or something. It was like they carried him around in the chair. It was um, not a stunt. We did Havana Nagila. Um... I don't remember like if they did like the actual ceremony there, but I, it, I like the actual the, the party or reception. Do you have a reception or I think it's mitzvah? a reception? I had one. It was a long time ago, though. Yeah, I think you have a reception. I've been to several, but <laughs> my it's been... parents are terrible Jews. Yeah, so I, I never even had one. I'm technically not a man. <laughs> Whoa. I don't know. I mean, do, I heard do about with that. that I, what you I thought, will, that, I thought but... that rumor was 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 just that. Hey, it's true, huh? Under the eyes of God, I'm not a man. <laughs> I'm sorry to say. Sorry, fellas. When you're uh, choosing covers and... and Pick a restroom, <laughs> pal. <laughs> and, you, and you finally choose one. Like, you say it has to kind of happen in a natural way. Do you, like... Is the first step to just try and find the key and, like, stay in that same place? Is that a necessary part when you're reworking the song? Like, the key, like, the the, the, yeah, the, the key range? Yeah, the the song you're doing. I mean, like, how... Do you need it to stay in some familiar pocket of the song in order for it to still be that song, and and for it for people to even recognize it as yeah. as the song it was? Yeah, that's important to me. Um, yeah, absolutely. That's cool. I don't know what more I could add to that, but it's, it's uh, you said it. Well, uh, but I, what I, about I you, us? Benny? I mean, you your Gaslight does covers. I mean, you guys do Pearl Jam, The Who, a lot of classic covers. I mean, how do you? Does that work the same for you? It's just, we pretty much just do the exact versions of what those bands were doing, though, which I think is a far different animal right, from right. what they're doing, you know? Is that, but that's a conscious thing on your part? You're never like, should we change this up? Like, Oh, I would never, I would never, I do, I do feel like a responsibility to do a song justice when you choose to do it. Certainly, like, don't want to be disrespectful to someone else's tune. And and if I don't like it, I'm not going to choose it. So that's a song I would want to respect anyway, I guess. And that's the difference. Yeah. Like, see, for me, none of like like right. Mike and like Joey love those like songs. Yeah. I hate it. Like, <laughs> right. I don't like Neil Diamond yeah. or Barry Manilow. You know what I like? Maybe ironically, <laughs> sure, as a joke to listen to. But so I wasn't bound by trying to be respectful right. with the song. I was yeah, just trying to do with it. Yeah, yeah. Like the whole point of them starting a cover band and the whole appeal of it to me was that like you could have the idea, and then like in a week you could play your first show, yeah, or like record right. your first seven inch <laughs> or something like that. Have like, you guys ever considered just going on like full on Weird Al with it? Um. <laughs> No, not yet. It's just like it, it. It's a weird thing. It happens in spurts. You know what yeah. I mean? Like when we're all able to get together and even just do live shows. Sure. So, uh, but yeah, it's it's like I said, it's all in the conceptual stage. Yeah, you know, whether you know what's going to make or break it. So, um, I heard like it's got to be a good joke. Oh right. <laughs> <laughs> I heard a funny story about the Eagles turning you guys down yeah. for a sink, which I thought was funny because that's like the only artist in history. I've been yelled at by Don Henley's people for smoking too much weed. 
in a studio. Mm-hmm. Apparently, it seeped into his studio because we were cheeching it too hard in there. And uh, so I've always had like kind of a meh. I fuck, think that's fuck I, that guy. Yeah, <laughs> you know? man, but like Sorry. cocaine's all right. Like, well, that's what I'm saying. I'm like, you know what? But like, just because you can't smell cocaine, <laughs> you're 60 years old, whatever, in a recording studio in Nashville, Tennessee. Like, you're I mean, gonna smell weed. Come on, man. it's the 90s, man. Yeah. You know, like, like we got to get into. Was it, it the 90s? No, <laughs> I'm just being a dick. Um, <laughs> but um, I use that line too. But what, what happened? Like, because I know in a normal cover, you don't have to get any kind of license, right? So why, right, why were you trying to get one for the Eagles? Uh, well, it was, uh, I know you got to do it for a sync license. I know we wanted to do a video for it. That was oh, why. Okay. Like, and and that's when you have to. Like start paying people or asking people if you can do it and they can say no and then you can't do it or if you do it, they'll sue so you. So Weird oh, Al had to yeah. get approval before he did For all the that stuff? Yeah. yeah. Dude, so yeah. Michael like, Jackson cleared it? Like but all dude, Al, Weird Al was like, it was like, that was validation. Like, if he didn't do your song, it was a, you were bummed back Except back for Coolio, man. He and Coolio had beef. Oh, they, they they? Had yeah. Beef? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I feel like Weird Al could take him. <laughs> not a big man. Speaking, you know? speaking of videos, my friend Jamie is in your video for I Believe I Can Fly. Mm-hmm. And I know that like Derek Wibley, like Paris Hilton, there's all these kind of cameos in it. I mean, what was... Mike knew a lot of people, yeah, man. He still does. He, was he just like come down to this bar yeah, shooting a video? That was essentially it. Yeah? Yeah, Mike Mike knows a lot of people. I, you know, I know a lot of people in San Francisco or <laughs> Pittsburgh, you yeah, know yeah. what I mean? But uh, no, that was all him. I think we got Jello in that video too, which was okay. kind of awesome. That's a, that is awesome. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it was fun. I don't remember much about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. But uh, no. So the Eagles, they said that uh, not only could we not get the license, would they not give it to us? The management responded to us, but they said that the um, the Eagles wanted us to know that they hated our version. <laughs> They wanted to. They wanted wow. you to know. <laughs> it was important to them that we know that's that. A that's, a fucking that's a great sign. I think yeah. it, you I know, did a good like job. A red badge of courage. Yeah, totally. Yeah. The Eagles have been like so kind of hated over time, especially by you know punk rockers of like twenty and thirty years ago, and like, and I always thought maybe they just get a bad rap because they really pioneered that cheesy California sound, but then. You always hear these stories that they full on fucking deserve it. Like they just they have they have to go the extra mile to let you know that no, it's actually true. We're kind of like douchebags. Yeah, like they didn't have to say that. No, <laughs> but they Brad, didn't. what was like what what was the perception of the Eagles in like the seventies? Because <laughs> that's awesome, I mean dude. it was different. For us. Innovators, <laughs> they're, they're classic like, rock already for you know me. But you were like wicked, living man. in it. Like I was living it in the back of the station wagon, leather man. pants. <laughs> Fucking around, cocaine fuels, yeah. <laughs> orgies of music, and no, I don't know, man. No, we, to, we, like, uh, where were we? Like the, the the we played a show in Philadelphia one time, and we did that song, and said, I think somebody said, like, we hate the fucking Eagles, man. Like you know, in the Big Lebowski, oh, yeah, yeah. but they couldn't even take that. Like they knew what we meant, <laughs> but just the words coming out of our mouth saying that we hate the Eagles, like the whole crowd turned on us, man, because they thought we were talking about the Eagles. <laughs> Oh, you know what no. I mean? Like, yeah, Uh-oh. dude. I'm surprised this this ties into what we were talking about before about Santa Claus getting hit in the head with a ice ball. 
and it was those wild Eagles fans. Yeah. What's wrong with them? I don't know. I mean, it's only football. It's a game. What yeah, are they Philly doing? They almost killed joke, Santa man. Claus. I'm Jewish now. <laughs> Wait, what offended. happened? It was many years ago. They they parade Santa Claus out. I think at halftime or before a game to oh, oh you know make the kids happy. Many kids at a sporting event. Sure. And some some schmo takes a <laughs> takes a, an ice ball wrapped in a snowball and cranks Santa in the head <laughs> and killed like hospital visit in front of the whole stadium. Yeah. The place Front of the is crazy. kids, man. The kids. The kids, man. That. Yeah, that's not cool. And that fires me up, man, when it's about the kids. <clears throat> I'll tell you, you know, the worst thing about that was was that, that Christmas was canceled that year. It was? Yeah. And they blamed because it on the, the Jews, Jews, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, what? How, we've, had, <laughs> we've had Max on the podcast and some other Utters, swinging mm-hmm. Utters type mm-hmm. people. I mean, what, what era of the Utters were you kind of playing with those guys, or how did that kind of come about? Um... Well, because I knew Max. Okay. And from like 98 to, I want to say 2011 or 2013, which was a good eight-year run, I did a lot of touring with them. Sounds like Juvenile Product kind of era? Right after that. Right after that. Right after that. Like, they they were finishing Five Lessons Learned, and then I started traveling with them. Yeah, those records are, I still listen to records all the time, so great. They hold hold up so well. Mm. Um, yeah, that, 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 uh, that was a good time. We did a lot of traveling, man. Yeah. We drove from San Francisco to Poughkeepsie one time, <laughs> like straight, like we slept, you know, for five, six hours at a time, but like just took the 80. And then when we got to the Poconos, there was like a, a blizzard. Oh, it was crazy. But Van uh, days. Yeah. Yeah. You guys, you I still keep it real. Still man. Man. Were you guys were... on that tour that... Descendants Bouncing Souls tour, were you in that? In that I think era? they were. That, they were, that, that okay. would have been before I was playing. That gotcha. would have been uh, Kevin Wickersham. Gotcha. And then, so what, when the, when Me First isn't touring, obviously everyone else's other projects, what's, mm. what's sort of your kind of day to day life when Me First isn't kind of super active? Uh, what's a day in the life of Spike like? <laughs> I get up, I get baked, I walked around the tenderloin, you know what I mean? That, that's the, um, that's the weird kind of skid row above Market Street in San Francisco. Yeah. It got its name because cops, uh, I guess in the 30s, they got hazard pay for working the neighborhood so they uh, could afford better meat. Wow. And it's like, so it's been like a shitty neighborhood <clears throat> for like 100 years. You know I'd what I say, mean? I'd nominate the Tenderloin in San Francisco or downtown Orlando as the most aggressive bums in the U.S. Yeah. Where's like the war yeah. field yeah. and that stuff? Is that over there? That, yeah, that, that okay. would sort of qualify. Like that. Or is arguably like the worst part of the tenderloin is when it empties out onto onto Market Street. Yeah, like it just gets really weird there. Yeah. And like bus drivers have the best like kind of perspective on it because they're the ones that have to stay parked there. And I've talked to people that like when you know when you wake up on the bus at like five in the morning and can't go back to sleep, the best thing to do, especially if you're on one of those double decker buses, is just to like sit up there and watch the neighborhood wake up. Because huh. it just like is this crazy like crackhead ant farm. I I was on, I was on out. tour with I was on tour with that band Paramore. I was doing a cover story for them and they were playing the Warfield and we were on the bus watching like crack deals mm-hmm. and they were like seventeen. They were like oh, what's yeah, going yeah. on out there? <laughs> they were, like, eating candy. And I was like, Yeah, that's they're selling crack. Crack, and then that person's going to go smoke crack. Yeah. A lot of Oxycontin, a lot of painkillers. But you know what's so strange about that area to me is like, there's so much fancy stuff around too. Yeah. Like, is how, is it always sort of been? 
how did that i don't i don't know what i'm asking but that to me is striking it feels like long money like there's a lot of like like long money kind of shady real estate shit happening in san francisco right now Mm. like people that own property that don't want to do anything with it because they're just kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop oh you know what i mean like so that like and it feels like the other shoe is about to drop along market street and so now all this stuff even in the tenderloin that's adjacent to market street is um kind of feels threatened too, like practice spaces and stuff like that um just little shitty old man bars you know for whatever they're worth you know what i mean like i care about them i don't drink anymore (laughs) but like there's only like a handful of them left whereas the tenderloin used to have all these just like crazy sailor bars yeah like sailor bars (laughs) that like just just but just weird and like Stonewall never happened in the Tenderloin, right. so there's no windows and those like amazing old like gay bars. <laughs> there's this one called the Gangway, where there's like the hull of a ship made out out of paper mache that comes out <laughs> into the like it's part of the facade. Right. Um, the Brown Jug just closed because the guy not only like an ABC guy came into the bar and offered to sell him liquor because you know that's against the law like and you could get busted right. and get your place closed down for that but right after the guy said yeah I'll buy your booze he offered to sell the ABC agent cocaine so they, <laughs> they like so they shut his bar down oh my god yeah my being so split that place chemos yeah, that place was. I remember the bartender was always like a mean transvestite that like hated us. Oh yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> He's at the elbow room now, but yeah. um, yeah, no, that's 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 sort of the outskirts of the the tenderloin. That that's kind of like the end of it, you know. And then now that's turning into this weird kind of like douche circus. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it, it just a lot of really shitty bars and fights and you know. Douche Circus. Douche Circus. That's like the East like Village South is turning Street, into. Like South Street used, in Philly used to be. You know what I mean? Like 15, Douche 20 Jason. years ago. <laughs> Douche <laughs> Jason. <laughs> is, that, is, that the word, is that the word of the day? Yeah, I like that. Douche. So any Jason. No, adjacent. <laughs> so we're supposed to make Douche noise. Douche Circus is going to be a band, Douche Circus. Fishtown adjacent. <laughs> Douche Circus. I'm going online now to get the URL. So what was, how, how, what was it like doing the shows with Jay? Obviously, um, was it a different vibe? Was it fun? Obviously, Jay Bentley, Bad Religion, legendary bass player as well. He embodies this weird kind of like this L.A. archetype for me of like like kind of a native L.A. dude that, that I like. He's like, it's weird. Like, it's, it's, he's deceptively smart. Because, and it's like those LA, like, like they always, like, they strike you as slow and as easy to take advantage of, mm. but they're not, like, like the, the wheels are turning, you know what I mean? It's just just a like different, a slower vibe, mellower vibe. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, you know, he knows how lucky he is. A lot of people <laughs> that play in bands, like, they don't have jobs, man, so they don't know how, like, you know. Yeah. They don't have anything to compare it to, so they just sure. bitch a lot and they act like babies. And, um... He's not one of those dudes. Like, he likes to get out and travel and, you know, Live eat food, life. talk he, shit. He can pull off a kilt, which I have very few guys I know, like on Warped Tour. I was like, this guy still looks so cool. <laughs> like, if I wore that, I would look so... But Jonah, have you heard of the uh, Utila Kilt? No, I don't that think they sell, so. So there's a company called Utila Kilt that makes more, you know, street-worthy kilt for the everyday wearing 
and you can get them custom made online where you get like pockets where you want them or okay. like you know little customizations for your kilt. I still think does it looks this interest you? Does no, I, interest? I just think it, I just couldn't pull that off. You know this spike? You know the utility kilt? Yeah, I've seen them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, form and function. You could build a cabinet. You know what I mean? You could take everything. You know. I think you could pull it off, Benny. Benny I got a, in a I kilt. Have, I have really um, thin little uh, chicken legs. Really? Yeah. So kilt. Like I feel like I feel like my in my mind when I think of a kilt, I think of like really burly, hairy legs inside of them, like. Legs made for like calves like melons. Yeah. Who's the congressman that said you know, that? Like, he, do you remember that? Legs know. made for like <laughs> something like, around like the Scottish about a, a woman misty hillside. You no, know? no, no. There was this congressman that said like he was. <laughs> it was like, like Steve King guy from Iowa. Oh man. yeah, he's weird. Yeah, 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 and he was talking about Mexicans coming across the border. Like some of them, I assume, are good people. It's like one of those. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. But then others have calves the size of watermelons <laughs> from hauling weed across the border. Like like <laughs> others like, saying they. Oh, there's weed in their calves? No, like, no, no. He just, oh, like, that was just the first thing that came to his mind was, like, they're, de- they're like, uh, super uh, overdeveloped, like, calf muscles from, like, transporting weed and other wow. illicit substances to... Well, that doesn't make sense. To unsuspecting, <laughs> innocent, have, young American yeah, boys and yeah. girls. Have you so, seen all the videos of the guys coming into New York with the cocaine taped to their legs like pants? Yeah. Like, they'll have, like, <laughs> cocaine all the way up their whole legs, and they'll be like, yeah, the guy's acting weird, and his pants seem kind of big. And we took his <laughs> pants down, and he just had, like, like $80,000 of cocaine. Jesus, and it happened, like, no. twice in a week here, yeah. <sighs> like, coming from the Dominican you Republic have some or balls something. to try and go through security. Like, I would... Blow it immediately. It would. <laughs> yeah. I can't lie about anything. Anyone with even even light training in human surveillance would see me a yeah. mile away. I'd yeah. be sweating. Yeah, there's no way I no could way. do it. No way. My I have a cousin who literally rolls joints and puts them in an Altoids box right. and just throws them in his checked luggage. Yeah, it's like fuck it. Right. I, I He's just, like I don't care. Like, I smuggled drugs from Mike once. As we've talked about it, but that was my only first and last time ever doing it. It's too scary. <laughs> yeah. No, it is. Too scary. It's Especially. getting better. I, I well, you know, like now with with uh, I think with vaporizers now. Yeah. Like if you just pack a bunch of nicotine things yeah. in with it, they're getting hip to it. Huh? They're getting hip to it. I think. Are they? The, I think actually they just banned uh, e-cigarettes on planes, which is going to include vaporizers Ew. too. So you know, you get. I mean, listen, we all think like, oh, you know, we're alternative people. We're, well, I mean, one of those motherfuckers smokes weed. Like they'll figure it out. <laughs> You know, like they're not as dumb as we think. No, and people love to get their last licks in. Yeah, especially yeah, if they right. sense that that the tide is turning That's and that it's going to be high more. Club, dude, let's vape the bathroom li- super hard. <laughs> <laughs> do you ever? Do you ever vape? No, I burn, but yeah. I, don't, I you know, yeah, yeah, I vape. You know what I mean, Jonah? You know, you just said that, right? I know, I yeah, know. You well, I, do you I even like vape? I, you vape, bro? Have I you seen that guy Blake vapes on I, Instagram? Man, there's oh, a is guy, that the guy like, with the tricks, with the smoke tricks. Yeah, but but like every once in a while, like like I can't. You can't watch all of them, but there's like two of them that are that are like They're pretty instant classic. My it's, friend was trying to explain yeah. to me. He's like, dude, it's like an art. Like this is like you get this special battery and you look people they're, they're like it takes a lot of talent. It's to do. pretty honestly. I wanted to just hate on it because I'm like, oh great, it seems like Bluetooth. This is something the world needs. And then you know I clicked on it and I'm like, eh, it's 
kind of cool. It, you know what it reminds me of? That scene uh, when Gandalf is getting stoned in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And he shoots the little boat through the ring. Mm-hmm. Kind of like that. <laughs> I mean, can't hate on that, right? <laughs> no way. <laughs> he, he can't hate on Gandalf. No. He can't hate on wizards. <clears throat> like, Mm-mm. getting high. Impossible. <laughs> I mean, that just only turns into good things. So <laughs> how, how did you make the transition from working at Fat to sort of forming a band with the owner of the label, basically. Because that seems like a very impressive maneuver. Well, he had the idea. Okay. He and Joey had this idea because um, they thought that, like, the best song on any given, like, 90s punk record was generally the cover. So why not just cut to the chase and do, like, a band of all covers? It's pretty smart. Yeah, it is pretty smart. (laughs) Really. And, uh, And I had done... Covers. I've been playing with cover bands. Uh, I played with this guy in this band. I don't know if you've heard of called Psychotic Pineapple. They're this weird, like Bay Area, like Missing Link kind of band okay. between. Like they were sort of '60s punkers before, like right before like the punk explosion. Huh. So they had like Brian Jones haircuts and like striped shirts. Worth checking out. Yeah, absolutely. Huh. Um. But by that time, they were just playing covers above the Paradise Lounge. It's where I met my wife. Nice. Um, uh, so, like, and I guess Mike had seen me up there. I was singing, like, Stevie Wonder and Alice Cooper songs, like, while I was shipping receiving things to the wrong places. <laughs> and they, you know what I mean? Like, they needed a place to put me that, that where I could do less damage. I gotcha. Think, too. gotcha. <laughs> what was, like, it, a day-to-day, like, in that office? Like, it, was there a lot of people coming through, like, pretty... I mean, was it like, was it a real work environment or were people ripping it pretty hard? No, it was, it was an actual work environment, you know, like, uh, at least with the shipping and receiving, it, it was a job job. You yeah. Know? I can imagine there was a lot of stuff coming through. Yeah. yeah. Pallets and boxes and, and, uh, I was ordering tilt records and yeah, shit. Yeah, I know, man. Yeah. I was, and down- I was shipping them, man. <laughs> I was down there. I did that cover store on Turner Press. To South America, man. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. No, his order. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> I did that cover store on No Effects where they were painted up like the Dixie Chicks. Do you remember that? They were naked and they had, like, had stuff written all over them. I, and I yes. did that interview at the office and it was so terrifying because I didn't know Mike. And I was asking him, it was our first interview in like 11 years. And I was like, asked him about Green Day and stuff. And Mike was like, oh, this interview reminds me of why we stopped doing interviews. <laughs> and I was like 21. I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And that, now I see his sense of humor. I would like laugh at that. But at the time, it was so brutal. Yeah, it is a caustic uh, <laughs> sense of humor that that guy has. Um, Do you ever get sick of talking about Mike? No. No? Because I could feel like you're kind of inundated by Mike with like between fat and me first and he's such a big personality yeah it's just kind of the nature of the beast you yeah. know what i mean like he's and it was his idea for the band you know like sure. he's done a lot of good things for me like he <laughs> like like our musical tastes to say the least are like divergent right you know what i mean yeah, but yeah. but that doesn't affect like i like having him in san francisco where he is part of the time that's cool yeah how do you explain me first to people who haven't? Because I feel like cover bands in general don't get a lot of respect. Oh, like the nerds. I, I just feel like like what you guys are obviously a big band, but I feel like most people when you say, "Hey, I'm in this band, we do covers," they think like, you know, these guys aren't writing their own stuff. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> We're a punk rock wedding band. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Like like it's 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 weird. 
I was talking, like, a friend of mine played with Kelly Stoltz for a while. Like, he just played, like, saxophone and, like, percussion and stuff. And he traveled with them. And he felt like there were these kind of two different tiers of people. There were all these... um and these are like the threatened people that I told you about, the people that, that are threatened, feel threatened by ambition. Mm. But then when somebody is ambitious enough to create their own stuff and like write their own music and and not just write your own music, but you have to like perform it and put balls behind like shit that you might like. You don't know if it's any good because you haven't played it for people. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but but my friend that played with them. He said he felt like there was like there were two tiers of musicians. There were these people that sort of that wrote stuff that felt it seemed to him superior to the people that hadn't to just the players. Right. Um but like to I look at it as like if you have to light a fire on stage, you know, you can use your own material or yeah, whatever yeah. it takes to do it like you know. And just cuz you're writing music doesn't mean you're writing good music. No, you know, and someone who's playing other people's songs could very potentially be doing it better than someone writing their own music. Well, and people you write, just write music, shit music too. Yeah, and people write great music for better performers. Sure, people yeah. write great music that could never perform it to save their lives because that's a, there's a different art to it, like a Bernie Taupin. Yeah, <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, the funny thing is that's the old <laughs> songwriter. I mean, performers never wrote. Until the 60s. That yeah, was the all thing. Little, little Jewish guys and handing off 50s, songs to yeah. giant Italian guys and, <laughs> and then now you know where all making those, really talented you know black people sing now? it. That's you know really a Jewish guy? Happened. I don't know if he's from New York, but, but from somewhere up here on the East Coast that wrote um, uh, Strange Fruit. Uh, you know that, the, the Billie Holiday tune? I know the song, yeah. That, yeah, it, she didn't write it. Yeah. It's a, that's a weird backstory of how it got written. It was just a dude who had been reading the papers. Really? Yeah. How did he get the song? Like uh, he, he was just reading newspapers about the shit that was going on in the South, and yeah. just like wow, came up with like a, a, the words of that the chilling right. fucking song. Yeah, man. like yeah, I think very few of those people actually wrote their own music, right? The performers, like the Motown yeah, no, people, was it just a lot of them didn't play their stuff, uh, right? man. Yeah. Like supposedly uh, Dave Clark didn't play the drums, man. Really? Somebody just recently told me that. Like that freaked me out, what? man. His session player? Yeah. Like Ooh. a session player played Dave Clark, but I, I don't know if that's true or not. But then like people like Mick Avery, like that's one of my favorite drummers, the guy from the Kinks. Oh, okay. And like yeah, I heard that he drummer. didn't play his own parts. Like really? it, it was a session guy that just came in because, well, because studio time costs money uh, yeah, and Mick Avery probably could have gotten it eventually because, right. you know, but if it's a new song, that probably means they hadn't been playing it live yeah, yeah, all yeah. that much, you know, just totally know. different scenario. Benny, do you play your own drum parts for the record? I just I, I, I plead the fifth. <laughs> I, I mean, well, these days, I mean, you grit it out. You really, you have to hit your snare drum once, and you yeah. just hit it really well once, and then just like a bunch of nerdy British kids with their <laughs> buttons up all the way to the top, they they just do a bunch of stuff hey, to it, make it sound you know, great. You're talking yeah. about I got everything who's I in the room. <laughs> no, he's got he's American, so he's got the one button down. But the shirt's similar. Yeah, <laughs> that's studio shirt. <laughs> How can I illustrate to the people listening what kind of shirt this? is? I don't even know how to explain it. Uh, I don't know. Anyone short, in the room? Short, short sleeve, button down shirt. What are you talking shirt. about? Short sleeve, but what? Like, how do you? What do you say for this pattern? What what kind of pattern is that? 
like snowflakey kind of <laughs> i don't know i think it's a nice shirt i don't yeah. know i think my lack of like i just i had assumed this is a very specific type of thing <laughs> because i don't wear it so i, think I guess it's, it's just a short sleeve i, think, I just think shirt. it's a really awkward <laughs> it, let the let the record okay, he said straight it is in fact just a short yeah, sleeve let's ask the guy without a microphone Benny's to describe grasping. your shirt Benny, i promise no, I'll, I'll wear shorts next time so you've got hey, something I'm dying so you here, can man. Get, you can you can rib on me man. i just i'm just imagining like an oasis the leg behind those jeans <laughs> <laughs> so, so, like, do you like the um like getting dressed for a show do you like like that whole part of like the, the like the outfits and that stuff or are you like ugh, i gotta put on this thing again no it's a new lease on it yeah for me yeah and and most of it has to do all of it in fact these days has to do with my wife audra has been like she's got a really twisted vision of american schlager that she's imposing on us. Like, sh- are you familiar with Schlager? No, I'm not. What is Schlager? No, no, but I want to hear about it. Yeah. Weird, like, 70s and 80s German music. Huh. <laughs> but it's, like, pop music, but because it's, like, continental European, like, German music, it's not entirely wholesome. It's all about, like, drinking oh, and, like, yeah. young girls and stuff like that. And it's, it's, um... It's, like, Dierza, like, those bands? No, 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 like, like, there's a new guy that does Schlager music called uh thomas dieter coon oh my goodness and and like it's the weirdest thing like people like us freak out about him yeah like and not as ironically as you might expect or hope like they're just like (laughs) no they're just like no he's the greatest (laughs) you know what i mean but then like this dude like if you look him up like you see like like the guy like curls his hair before the show like he puts on this like rug it looks like because his hair can't possibly actually be that you know and just these totally glitzy but trashy clothes like it's 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 like the german version of john waters what's the music like but it's like just trashy pop music you know like but but kind of with an oompa kind of german sort of feel to it (laughs) but it's more like the visuals and supposedly this dude like shows up you know to these shows in like a black lips t-shirt and tuck tees and then like you know curls his hair and puts on all this glitzy stuff and that's what he's got a gold microphone that's you cool. know what i mean and that that's what see like i don't agree with like punk or like modern sort of like punk people uh like their whole sort of uh substance over style as mm. if what they're doing is not like a certain kind of style yeah yeah, yeah. it's just like less colorful deadheads kind of by now you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. if it's not 1976 there's no garbage strikes like what are you doing man and like, there's still a style to it just because you're wearing like fucked up yeah. shoes and a band t-shirt you all look the same which means it's still a style exactly right? and it's still like like and and the punk punk movement's originators were it was all about image propulsion because yeah. that was part like that was either about getting a political idea across or just about like or shocking, shocking people and saying side. like yeah. and just like a weird sort of form of exhibitionism or something like that hmm. but uh it's inhabiting a different like it's and it's all theatrics and if it's not why the fuck am i watching it man you know what i mean like it, yeah. it like and so putting a costume on to me and being somebody else or being like a weird sort of embellishment of yourself like that that's sort of that's the key to me to my enjoyment and yeah. to to it's it, it gives you something going with the crowd because it's it's like recording and performing to me I've found that like it's not pure experience 
like how it feels is not how it looks, mm. you know? And, and, and like, I can't count how many times like I've tried to do like a part, like to sing a part in a recording studio and to sing it exactly how I'm feeling it and how I feel it should be. And then you hear like an engineer say, uh, okay, could you do it with like a little more balls or with a little less balls, right. and then like seven takes later, okay, can you split the difference now? So it's not and, like yeah. you want it to be pure experience, but it can't ever be. Sure. And the closest for me that I get is putting on funny clothes. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Do you find like uh, blazer and slack management is hard on tour? Harder than when you could just throw on whatever? It is like you got to use hangers. You got to find yeah. places to hang shit up now, right? I'm the stinks. default wardrobe assistant. You know <laughs> oh, what I mean? Because yeah, well, because if I weren't, what am I going to do? Watch my wife like fumble around yeah, with? You, and you know, you can't like, just have one. Do you, do you have one? No, set? no, because we get few. sweaty. You like do, yeah. you know, so we got to hang the stuff up, and then when it dries, put it back away. Yeah, it's a thing. It's it's a thing, but yeah. like now, everybody does this. it. Everybody like. Of a certain level, like like they don't wear street clothes to to play rock in because they want to make it different. Yeah, it's different from you know. What's your preference post show? Do you like to throw a wet piece of clothing into a wardrobe type case and just be done with it and let it air out on its own, or do you need to let it air out? We let it, it air goes out. In? Smart. We let it air out. I don't understand the people who just. Let something be musty all night long. It's disgusting. That right? band, what's that band that uses Paul Delaney's friends? They use all that pig's blood and stuff. I think Watain. Mayhem. <laughs> Maybe it was Mayhem. I think it might have been Watain. They played in Brooklyn, and I was like, I'm going to see this band, and he was like, Don't go if it's the end of the tour because they cover themselves in this blood, and then they throw their stage clothes in this road case and never clean it. And he was like, By the end, they smell so bad that you like can't even get near the stage. <laughs> no, 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 yeah. no, no, no. no. It does not seem like a fun concert experience. No. No. That would be fun for me first to do some kind of Halloween show where you guys are all wearing white and then do some some sort of dramatic slaughter fest Mm -hmm. with the red. And covering Halloween songs, right? Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Both of them. That could be good. (laughs) Or we could do that for, for the Christmas record. Yeah. For the Christmas shows. That is true. And you guys just had a greatest hits thing come out? Yes, we did. <laughs> what was that experience like? I mean, how do you sort of pick what is is included and what isn't? Is it d- democratic, or do you sort of, is everyone sort of on the same page? No, like they they the uh, I think a lot of it came from the top down. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Uh, and I, like I said, I reserve veto power, but I didn't really. They didn't pick them so much as these were the songs that that had were sort of the most popular songs and now that people can sort of parse records for the individual songs that they like yeah now that we're in that you know age uh you know what the more popular songs are yeah it's pretty easy to tell these days i mean all you have to do is like sign into a an Apple yeah, Music I guess that's or a Spotify, true. and you actually have your stats like yeah. right in front of you. Yeah. It's, it's pretty interesting. I know a lot of there are bands who are really like using these stats as almost like really advanced metrics on like how to market their songs and the how kind to of merch to make. And like, <laughs> yeah, no, seriously, like uh, there's a way to use that stuff to your 
to your advantage in a completely non-artistic way. <laughs> Do you find um, I mean there's there's a, there, that's an art, I guess, you know? Yeah. The art I guess mathematicians would say they're artists, right? Right. Sure. I mean they always write shit on uh windows, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> in like every movie where some guy's yeah. figuring out some equation, why it's always a whiteout pen magically <laughs> on a fucking window that like rubs <laughs> off fine, nice and clean. I don't know where this technology even exists. The <laughs> algorithm for for the Facebook thing and the social network right? wasn't that written on a yep. window. The the <laughs> was that one a window? That might have been a dry erase. I can't remember. No, I just I just saw that that um, Ben Affleck movie. Did you see that? He does a lot of window writing on that. Ben Affleck movie. Ben Affleck movie. It's, window yeah, writing? it's a recent one. Just on an airplane. You're not He's, talking about Goodwill you saw, Hunting. You saw no. Ben Affleck movie. He plays on an this like economist guy <laughs> who's like brought into a. It's like an action movie, and they cut, get him in to solve this crazy equation, and he writes it all out. No, so anyway, it's a great movie. Yet. I can't remember the name of it, but check it out, guys. I'll, I'll probably see it on the way back you, tomorrow. You probably will. You probably will. <laughs> do you um? Do you find like sort of the not the values of punk, but just like the style of punk and the lifestyle and the way some people are more more difficult or out of sync with you as you get older. Like, is it is it different as you're getting older? Yeah. Like, I don't know if it's older or wiser, right. you know what I mean? Or more curmudgeonly, but like... Maybe all three. Yeah. But it meant a lot to me, so like... I don't know how to explain it. Um, this is a safe place. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it meant a lot to me at one time. So it just it's frustrating to me for either to be so categorical, mm. you know, like, like, for example, to me, I thought one of the punkest things that I'd heard of recently was absolutely not punk, which was it was like somebody 200 people did a rave in a sewer. Oh, and I hate techno tough. music, you know what I mean? But I thought, like, that's people, like, controlling their good time and making their good time, and that's kind of exactly what it is. Right. And there were some people who were, like, so vehemently opposed to, like, Public Enemy or, like, Eric B. and Rakim being categorized as punk, and I thought, like, man, <laughs> like, apart from, like, just the sound of the music, that's exactly what it feels like yeah. to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, the attitude has just, it's not, yeah, I think it's funny, I think for old timers, it's more, you can embrace punk attitude better than, for a kid, it's just the sound, it's got to sound like punk rock, right? Yeah. And I mean, that's how I was when I was a kid, you But know? maybe that's what draws you into it, I mean, a kid <clears throat> that's going to be drawn to the punk ethos, like, might have something to, to let out. You know, and I've always found like the speed, energy, yeah, and the energy of that music is good for people with something to to let out. You know, yeah. like it goes hand in hand with that. The it's angry funny that kid you mentioned the speed, like techno, though, because I I've dabbled in a little electronic music. Oh, tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> I had a, a guy, a partner that I worked with for a while, who was very much into it, and I really had a great admiration for the fact that that this was music that was created completely out and this was early aughts you know and it was completely outside of even more so than like punk rock and indie labels completely outside of the of the of the business of, you know of these anybody's record, frame these of records reference were created they were marketed and they were sold and and 
you know, sold widely, completely yeah. outside of the commercial. They weren't afraid of success. Yeah. Like whatever it meant. Like yeah, and like, I thought I thought that was really awesome. Yeah, and you know it was kind of punk rock. Yeah, and they didn't do it on any, anybody else's terms. Yeah, or yeah, and they created their you know styles that. Yeah, a lot of well, it's true, and it, and it put the old guard on their on 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 their feet. You on know? notice, yeah, it did. Because yeah. they're like, oh shit. Like, what, and the old guard couldn't what, figure it out. They couldn't get in. They could not monetize it. Well, they could have if they weren't fucking dicks. Like, <laughs> yeah. like if they actually saw it, and instead of like, they would have put them know, on a bill. Yeah, instead mm-hmm. of suing fucking little kids like somewhere about like downloading music, they could have just been creating the programs that everybody's getting rich off of now. I mean, they fucked up. But yes. I mean, and I think what you're talking about now, they're in a position where they have to reconvince artists why you even need them. Yeah. You know, and why you can justify A&R guys getting paid like two, three hundred fucking grand a year. And like, I mean, these motherfuckers make crazy money. There's these not very old, many like, of them. The old guard label heads. <laughs> Fuck that, man. Every single label has got like 10 people who are making way more than fucking artists. Like, oh. you can always believe that. Everyone from the head of radio to the head of publicity, to the head of marketing, to all the A&R people, and then the higher dicks that they even have to go play demos to, they're all making fucking dough still. Yeah, but the numbers are much smaller. I don't know. It's still big. They got a big piece of a, of a, of a de- ever-diminishing right. Yeah, pie. I mean, it's not gold toilet money. But it's like shoe whirlpool money. tub money. <laughs> it's like, yeah. You know, it's like Yeezy shoes money. Gold fixtures on your whirlpool tub. Yeah, <laughs> but like you know, gold, you know, dust, gold leaf. Not, yeah, yeah, <laughs> leaf. Yeah, the leaf. You can't be buying bars and shit on that. I'm not saying that. This ain't oil money. <laughs> the interesting thing to me, like, is to listen to bands now, like. They're not similar in any way, only in that they kind of came after. But bands like the Gun Club or bands like the Fall or all these bands that came sort of like after the first like initial punk explosion. Mm. And it was kind of their answer to it. Like they were bored by it or just weren't that into it in the first place. But they believed um, in or their only method of getting the stuff out was just sort of this like punk network. To, to ride on the... I think a lot. It's funny, Gun Club, which I I love Gun Club, and yeah. I think that like I think a band like that, perhaps even they just yeah they were just looking for they just wanted to do their thing, and they and they this was a this was this was a good way. Oh yeah, we're a punk rock band. We're punk. Uh, we're cowboy punk or whatever the fuck. We're yeah. And if, yeah. And it, I also I think a lot of those bands, maybe not so much Gun Club, but a lot of similar bands like that, they didn't know what the fuck they were doing. <laughs> no, and and like maybe they were trying to be punk rock, and the networks <laughs> that punk people had established were the only yeah. like means of getting out. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, that American hardcore movie was really interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Like just like because I never thought of bands like the Bad Brains and Black Flag and like Youth Brigade. Like yeah, I thought of them as like songs and records that I liked, but I never thought of them as establishing this network of clubs yeah. that you play like they didn't have booking agents oh, yeah. that had like a roster of bands to use as a cudgel against scumbag promoters totally like they just they had to like they were like frontiersmen yeah, yeah exactly they really were like yeah. at the electric banana in pittsburgh 
Johnny Banana pulled a gun out on on Keith Morris. Like there's this famous story that like the Circle Jerks came to town and Johnny Banana was charging like seven dollars. So Johnny Banana was the man who ran the electric the electric banana. banana yeah, okay. he supposedly like the story is that that like he didn't talk or say words and he went to to jail for a little while and then he came out and he got this strip club called the electric banana <laughs> and then this dude reed paley from a band called the five or maybe somebody before like car sickness one of these weird old like you know pittsburgh okay. like art bands uh-huh. convinced them to do shows and they started doing shows and then all ages shows and then out of town bands that started coming spot. yeah huh. and the circle jerks came one time and i think it was on like a seven dollar ticket or something like that and they didn't get paid <gasps> as much as they thought Okay. They should have been paid. Yeah. And uh, and so Keith Morris went out to the van to get a crowbar, you know, because like that was that time. These are the people that are paid. going out and yeah. like, yeah, trailblazers. No contracts. Like, the wild yeah. frontier. Sure. And Johnny Banana, like, he was went upstairs and got his famous 22 <clears throat> and like told him to get out of Pittsburgh. <laughs> not, and, like, not at the electric van. No, not <laughs> Back in the van. All right. <laughs> All right. Hey. Uh, yeah. Thanks to Spike for coming by. Check out the new Me First in the Gimme Gimme's greatest hits album, Rake It In. And uh, thank you, as always, to Pulse Music for letting us uh, record here. Thanks to Steve. Thank you. Rywalski. Thank book, you. Book a session with him. Uh, he's taking uh, appointments for 2024. Booked up till then. <laughs> also, if Very you need, demand. you know, if you need any music recorded for your podcast or otherwise, like... He can do original music for you. Yeah. This guy's license. a genius. We can license music, too. Yeah, there you go, man. Yeah. Give him a call. Yeah, give him a call. I don't know what the number is. Yeah, yeah look it up. Just look it up. Yeah, look it up. <laughs> Seriously, like, this is what I always say. Like, yeah, if you can't figure that out, then you shouldn't be using you should be using his services. You got to do a little legwork on your own. <laughs> right? We have a website. Yeah, go We're to the website. Google. Pulse Music. Pulse Music. Um yeah, one thing, I felt like when smartphones kind of started out, you would still get people asking you, like, for directions to stuff. And now I feel like it really is, that era is over, which is nice, because I felt like it drove me insane <laughs> when someone's, like, on their iPhone, like, how do you get to this place? I'm like, dude. HTTP. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, another great use of smartphones is you can send money so easily. Yeah, and Venmo. I Venmo think. is great. Um, if you want to send us money, support this podcast, all 260-something episodes, uh, you can Venmo us at OffTrack, O-F-F-T-R-A-C-K. The money will go to Brad Worrell. Um, and, uh, yeah, what happens from there, who knows? <laughs> it's some sort of, like, Swiss account you yeah. have, right? Yeah, it's, it's so swollen now too. <laughs> yeah yeah brad yeah so um yeah if you want to support that you can do that you can also uh i believe we have a paypal thing on our site that money goes somewhere too um or you can just leave us as you can see we're super good at this part uh, or you can just uh, leave us a nice review on itunes that's free tell your friends about the podcast tweet at us um subscribe if sub- you haven't already subscribe yeah uh the subscription numbers i think are pretty are doing pretty good yeah so um, thanks to everyone that's been subscribing. Um, yeah, that's really all I have to say. So uh, yeah, we'll be back next week with another podcast. Thanks to Spike, and uh, see you later.